Welcome to the Etsy Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McRoberts, and this is your co-host, producer Dan Portnoy. Welcome to the odd, uh, like, spiral, like, downward spiral of information and conversation that has become this podcast, because in, in essence, I'm the host, and I'm hosting Dan Portnoy, who is playing host to me. Um, <laughs> so we're really... We're, uh, yeah, we're, 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 I think we should just start calling our media company, company Meta. I think, is that, I think that might land. Well, I'm, I'm the Steve Arterburn to your James Dobson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I threw that out. <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone, everyone That's who's great. listening is like, no! Nope. Can't. <laughs> Don't. Please. Stop lots it! Of tri- lots of triggers going off right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of, oh, some of which are probably PTSD. Dead, but not all. Yeah. Um, we are, uh, Dan and I, walking through the book Sacred Strides, digging into the stories, talking about the themes, uh, giving you an opportunity if you liked the book, uh, which I think you did, uh, if I'm honest, um, give you an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper and hear more about it. And if uh, you have not come across the book or given it a shot, uh, giving you all kinds of reasons to to do it. Um, this is a chapter, chapter five, uh, that I entitled, uh, pacing myself or coffee college and knowing my limits. Dan, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Great to be here. Um, as Steve Arterburn. Um, I, the, I don't the, like, this is it's the... funny. It's funny, but it makes me James Dobson. And I mean, I'll yes. take his, yes. I'll take his numbers. God yeah, knows. Well, yeah. I'll take he his did numbers. All right. I just don't want right. to do with his numbers what he did. That's all. I feel like his numbers have trailed off a bit. In the I won't take it. Let me rephrase that. I'll take his numbers from 1987. Yes. I don't want his yeah. numbers. Easy. Now. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know. His numbers now still, I mean, yeah. But anyway, moving on. Um, so this chapter, uh, first off, I think it's great. Like, um, I, I love that everybody is responding so much to your Instagram and leaving comments and um, talking about this and checking it out and uh um, you know, complimenting me. That's really the part that I'm, I'm really That's your enjoying. Favorite part. Um, yeah, it's your my favorite, favorite part so far. So thanks everybody. <laughs> it's my yeah, it's great. Part. It's great. Keep it up. If we could, if we could, you know, send yeah. me a note. More I don't know. Um, yeah, it's great. But, um, but seriously, this, this is the chapter that made me laugh the most, I think, just because I was trying to picture college age, Justin doing oh. these things. And it was very funny to me. It just yeah. kept kept me going a little bit. So why don't you start off by, by telling us a little bit of what, what's going on in this chapter, the, 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 the up to now, cause um, it's, it's too good. So the, I mean, in, in essence, the chapter at its root, if there's a moral or whatever to the, to, to the moral angle to the chapter, it's about limitations and growing comfortable with one's limitations. But as we keep coming back to you, like there are just things that we learn that we can't, there are things that I don't think we learn cognitively. We have to, we have to like actually learn them in our bodies. We have to learn them like in life and in rhythm. And so there, there are certain kinds of, uh, this is from one of the prayer books. Like there's this, there's a certain kind of wisdom in life that only comes from trying and failing and getting back up again. And uh, coming like limitations and learning my limits is one of those things. Like, I don't know how limited I am until I try to exceed my limits and, and implode. Now I, the, 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 the comical character in this chapter in they become a character is coffee. 
I make coffee into a character because it really was more like a relationship than it was just like a, it, it wasn't a consumable. It was, it was like a featured person in my life. And I was at the time coffee was helping me do way more than uh, way more than I could do now. That's for darn sure. Um, and way more, I, I shouldn't say that I, sh that it, I was at my capacity. Like I was in college full time. I had a job as a young life staff person doing youth ministry. I was also, uh, teaching junior high and high school off and on as a substitute teacher. I was also working on a church plant with, uh, with some friends. I apparently had some, some form of social life. Uh, like I had, I had a ton of stuff happening and coffee was the thing that like was, and I didn't know it at the time was sort of like holding me together and providing the energy for my big fat days. That's, that's the, that's the broad context for this chapter. Yeah. And so you're, you're trucking along doing like, I, I don't, when I look back at like what I was doing in my twenties, my early twenties, and it's like, so you didn't sleep. You, you did everything and there was no way there, there wasn't going to be a social component where now I'm like, I'm going to bed. Um, you know, yes. so there's, there's like, yeah, I'll, I'll catch you tomorrow. Um, when it's that, it's that whole, like, Hey, can we meet up at nine o'clock? And you're like at night, because I'm going to be going to bed. Like it's just, yes. cause I'm up early, but, um, yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine the idea of like, no, 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 I'll just, just hang out uh, super late. One of the things that I think is really great though, you kind of give us a rundown in the chapter of like what your life was and what was, was happening on the way. Do you mind just giving us the, the kind of the cliffs notes on the, the on that? Yeah. Cause it's impressive. So, yeah. So the, so, um, this is, uh, I, I actually break the schedule on twice and, and the one, uh, the one is just the actual schedule and then later on I kind of drop a joke with it, but the schedule I was keeping, I, th I think this was Thursdays. Yes. The, the schedule coffee and I kept, uh, this is the way I wrote in the book, the schedule coffee and I kept varied slightly from day to day, but not much. For instance, the average Thursday, my senior year of college looked like this 6 30 AM wake up 7 15 AM drive to class eight, eight o'clock to nine 30 was class. From 9.45 to 11-ish, I had class. There was another class that like, it was 11-ish because sometimes the teacher would let us out early and sometimes we would go late. Um, at noon, I would drive to Clayton Valley High School where I was doing youth ministry, doing Young Life. I was on campus from 12 to 12.35. At one o'clock, I'd drive back to class at St. Mary's. Now the drive from Clayton where I was doing ministry to St. Mary's is about 40 minutes. Drive back to class. Um, and then from one thirty to three o'clock, I had another hour and a half class on the Thursday and th at three o'clock, I realized that I didn't have a girlfriend and then I was pretty okay with that. Four o'clock, uh, I had, we would usually have a work meeting and the work meeting in Walnut Creek, which is right next to where my school was. So a drive in for the work meeting. 5.30, I would have dinner, uh, at a burrito place right around the corner from the college from 5.30 to 6.30, I would read, um, while I was eating dinner from my classes. And then I had a class on Thursdays from 7 PM to 10 PM it was a class on monsters and movies. That was like a, that was a Thursday. And the reason I give the Thursdays because there were, I couldn't remember. And this is the thing about being in my twenties. I can remember those Thursdays. Cause it was like super structured. Like that's relatively, I had places to be, 
But most of my days were like that. I was up early, either I was substitute teaching or I had a class to get to. And I, I just don't remember going to bed before midnight. And I could, and most days I couldn't tell you for sure, like what those, like what kept me going, like what I was doing and where I was supposed to be during those hours. But like, I know without question, I was up before 6.30 every morning for most of my 20s to get life done. And I wasn't in bed, you know, before midnight, most of the time, the, my days are just jam packed. And that's, you know, here's the Thursday. Sometimes the work meeting was for young life. Sometimes the work meeting was for church. I just had a ton, I had a ton going on and I loved it. I was thrilled. Yeah. So you're, so you're thriving on this, like thing to thing, to thing, to thing, to thing. Um, the, the true extrovert, uh, in you getting energized from person to person, to person, to person, to person so much. Yes. You're, uh, doing doing work, doing work on yourself, doing work in class, doing work uh, yeah. with kids, and just bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. And then a problem happened. Yeah. So um, this is the way I wrote it. I said it was a Thursday night, and my paper was due on Friday morning. Shocking. Everyone knows this story. I was clacking <laughs> away on the keyboard, and my heart was singing. I was at my mom's house, by the way, because I didn't own a computer. Um, I was clacking away at the keyboard. And my heart was singing with joy as my paper's thesis came became clear and I neared a reasonable, if not beautiful conclusion. My heart was also beating somewhat quickly, which I took slight notice of, but didn't think much about. That is until I took, until I noticed the pinky and ring fingers on my left hand felt numb on the keyboard. When I pressed down, the tips of those fingers didn't register the keys and that kind of freaked me out. And by kinda, I mean completely. Obsessing over these ticks uh, and oddities in my body, I noticed my skin felt sticky and that my breathing was a bit fast. I could tell my heart was racing. So I asked Coffee, <laughs> that's why I mean, Coffee becomes a character. So I asked Coffee if he had any idea what was going on. I don't know, man, but I'm here with you. It's gonna be okay. The next thing I knew, the same fingers on my right hand were also numb. So I did the very thing you'd expect a reasonable level-headed person to do in such a moment. I called my doctor to tell him I was dying. <laughs> This, this story, there are slight, like, like tiny little exaggerations and like, maybe it's just the timing, but everything about the story is, is, is entirely true. Like it was, it began on my left hand, went to my right hand. I went into full blown freak out mode and I called my doctor at like four 30 in the morning and no joke. I thought I was about to die. He, 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 yeah, he, he got a message from me that was, I was in terror. Absolutely. So he calls you back. He calls, so, so I call from my mom. This is, this is pre-cell phone. Yeah. I call yeah. him at, there's an answering machine. Remember answering machines? I do. There was an answering machine at the doctor's office. Um, he, he calls back and says, you know, office doesn't open at, you know, until, you know, seven or whatever, but I can, you know, I can be there early. So I meet him early and um, I'll tell the story instead of read it. But I got in, you know, I got in the office and on the way to the office, I get a cup of coffee. And by a cup of coffee, I mean, I left my little place where I was, you know, where I, where I was awake drinking coffee. Um, and I go by 7-Eleven. I have one of those huge orange 7-Eleven 32-ounce mugs that they used to sell. Like, I, I, like I, just, I can still see it. I can feel the mm -hmm. texture of it in my hand. It was a companion. Like, it wasn't. So um, I grab a coffee on the way, and I'm sitting in the doctor's office with this massive coffee talking about how my heart is beating super fast. And my doctor's like, listen, there's no, like you don't have any history at all of heart failure in your family. But can we talk about how much coffee you're drinking? 
And I, what's nuts about this is like, I didn't see it at all. Like I had no, I didn't see it at all. It didn't, it, was, it didn't register. It was like, how much coffee are you drinking? And you would figure a relatively self-aware human to be like, you know, it's funny you would ask that because I've been wondering if I'm drinking too much coffee. Like that's how that conversation should have gone. But he was like, you talk about how much coffee you're drinking. I was like, why? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? And he says, uh, he says, you know, you should, you should either cut back on your coffee consumption. This is a real quote from this family doctor. So you should either cut back, cut back on your caffeine consumption or start doing something like speed. <laughs> it's a, oh it's absolutely what he said, like right to my face. He was, uh, what is, was and is a wonderful man and, and had known my family for a long time. But he was like, dude, you are, you are hurting yourself. Yeah. So, what was the amount of coffee that you were you were consuming on a daily basis? Based so, when I do the math, and, when I do math. the math in chapter, it amounts to about sixteen cups of coffee a day. So that is two pots of coffee every day. Wow. Yeah, and it was all the time. It was like it was two pots of coffee, which this is the thing that happens. And I, I mean, I make a joke about with relation to coffee because we can tell jokes about coffee in the same way that we do with like ADHD. But like the reality was, is like it crept up, it crept up on me. Like I didn't decide, yeah. all, I didn't go from like, I need to, I need to get all this stuff done. I'm going to need two pots of coffee. It was just like, right. it was what was happening in my life. And I grabbed the thing and then I grabbed another one. And then like down, I have no idea when it started. I know I started drinking coffee and I was 12 or 13. Um, but, but it wasn't just like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like I liked coffee so much. I kept drinking more of it. Like my early coffee experiences were just like, it's neat that I get to drink coffee because it, I felt cool. True. Like, at, you know, 13, I'm like, I'm going to come home. But once I got to college, like, and started, you know, once I, I was in college doing important college work and I'm doing young life, which is important life work. And I'm planting a church, which is important life work. And I'm doing all this important stuff. And I feel like I've got to show up for all of it and be spot on, aware, presence, ready to go. Like coffee was the thing that I felt helped me stay present and active and effective in all of these facets. And I just didn't, I didn't see it as a dependency. I didn't see it as a thing I was leaning on in order to get my important stuff done, <laughs> which is why my, my, my doctor's like, you're drinking a lot of coffee. I was like, I don't know, what, what does that have to do with life and, and me achieving things? <laughs> I just didn't see it, blind as a bat. <laughs> Well, you say here that, and this is the really fun part is that, um, obviously you're going a hundred and, you know, 40% on the reactor, uh, for a good long yes. time. And then, uh, uh, for you to say that by working to overcome or bypass my limitations, I was in effect declaring that my humanity was in the way of my productivity. It was a problem that you were human. So yeah, I mean, and, and that is, I, I do feel in some ways that, uh, I definitely can relate to that of yeah. being like upset with myself that I can't. Why can't I go any further? Why can't yes. I, you know, like running till the wheels fall off? And then you have to like, you sleep for a day and a half and you have to apologize to a whole bunch of people because yep. you just couldn't do it anymore or, yep. or something terrible happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what, what, how, how did you, how did you uh, solve that in terms of your humanity to your productivity? Well, I didn't solve it, solve it. It's, and because there, there's sort of, there's like two, this is, and this is so much of the book, which is. Uh, why I like this book so much is um, there are these parallel teachings here, parallel bits of wisdom. The one is uh, the simple thing to say, which is like, I was treating myself like, uh, I was treating myself like my limitations were a problem. 
and that it was a problem that I was human and that what mattered was the bottom line. So I needed to get, I needed to get grades so that, you know, bottom line, if you're in college, you're paying for college, crush it, get, get the, you know, get the grades for your, for your parents and for your future. And I'm doing ministry like, well, make sure Jesus is happy with the work you're doing. Like, you know, work hard, achieve, you get soul saved the whole nine. Um, and, you know, and then I'm, I'm doing substitute teaching. Like, I got to show up on time. I got to execute. I got to be a good teacher. I got to make the money. Like I was submitting my well-being to, to bottom lines. And the one lesson, which I get into in the book, is like that's in the long run, like you don't want to treat yourself like a machine. You want to work within your limitations. Um, the, the, the other side to that teaching, which is the teaching in and of itself is like, I, I really mean it when I say this, there are lessons we can't, we just can't learn unless, unless we blow it, unless we, we fail. Like you have to cross lines. You have to come up specifically when it comes to limitations. I'm going to full blown suggest with very rare exception. You have to get to your limits and exceed your limits, limits and experience life on the other side of exhaustion, maybe even burnout before you actually take seriously the notion of limits, which is to say this, part 2B, part 2B of the, of the teaching. In my 20s, I'm so thankful I ran the pace I ran. I don't look back at my 20s and think like you moron, like you were totally crossing, you know, like you were way over capacity. I'm so thankful that I was running over capacity because I know exactly what it feels like now. And the, the price I pay in my thirties, forties and fifties, if I'm exceeding my capacity, the price I pay, the price my family pays, the price my friends pay, the price, my, the price, my, the cultures I I'm trying to care for pay. If I'm over capacity is so much higher, the older I get. So if I'm going to learn that lesson, if you're in your 20s or you have a if you have someone who's a teenager or a kid in their 20s, now is the time to be like at and over capacity so that you <clears throat> one, you learn the shape of your own desires and your works, which is other another part of the book. But so that you learn one, you learn your limits, but you also learn what it actually feels like to be at your limit and to exceed it. If you don't know what it feels like, you just won't believe the teaching when someone says, work within your limitations accept limitation as a part of being human. You just won't believe it. You have to believe yeah. it in your body. And the, your 20s are, that's the time. That is the season in which you like go for it, hit the wall and have people around you to help work out what it looks like to live be better as you get older. Unless, unless of course you're smarter than that <laughs> and you know that you, you don't need to run that because you're like, oh, I'm getting close to my limit. I'll make a smart choice here yes. and, uh, and, and take, the, take the break. Yeah, absolutely. And I, but I'm, well, I guess what I'm saying is like that, that kind of intelligence, the kind of intelligence it takes to actually live within limitations, I think is an experiential intelligence. I think I, if I, if I only, yeah, believe, I definitely was not born with that. No, no. If I only believe that no. in concept, I won't really believe it. And then right. I will either under, I will either undersell my abilities in life and I will come mm -hmm. up short of things that I'm actually capable of. Cause I don't know that I have that fifth gear. I don't know that I've got that extra 12%, right. uh, which is as tragic because you and I both know cats. It's like, bro, I just, you have another five hours in your week. You do. Like I know totally. so many cats, so many cats. Yeah. It's like, dude, yeah. you've got another five hours in your week. I, I know yeah. you feel like you're at your limit. I'm telling you, you're not push past this because right. the greatness of your project is on the other side of that five hours. Right. You know, there's that. But then also like I, you know, I won't 
I won't really, in my 30s and 40s, as I came up against limits, I had the felt experienced memory of that piece of wisdom. I was like, this is what it felt like then. I don't want to feel like that now. And this thing I'm doing is way too important for me to show up like half brained and burned out. And flame out, flame and out flame on out. it. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah. It's easier to flame out and better to flame out in your 20s because for the most part, I'm so sorry, guys, if you're in your 20s, I apologize for this. The stuff you're doing just isn't as important as it will as the stuff you'll be doing in your 30s and 40s and 50s. It's just not. And yeah. the weight, of, yeah, the yeah, weight yeah. of your relationships, the weight of your, the weight of your projects, the wisdom of your projects, like it, it's not bad stuff. It just doesn't carry mm -hmm. the same weight. So play right. minor league ball while you're in the minor leagues and strike out sure. as hard as you can. So that by the time you actually hit the majors, right. like, you know what a curveball looks like and you won't swing at right. it. Right. Yeah. Cause I think the, the, the thing that what changes is, is the, the things that, that start creeping in. Um, cause I mean, coffee is a, is a great, uh, piece to, to be able to, uh, energize yourself and get past a whole bunch of things, but there's yeah. so many more things on my time right now. And the things that I, I think are important and, and, and I can't tell you like, uh, just creatively the last, since getting married, uh, yeah. my priorities changed drastically yes. and some of it was very frustrating to figure out what my new normal was, yeah. um, of just, uh, just like, Cause, cause it is important to me, you know, to, to be a good husband and to try and be a good dad and try to like do all these things. And, and then it's like, yeah, but I'm supposed to be working. I'm supposed to be creating these things I'm supposed to be doing. And it was honestly, I'm coming out of a season of that wasn't that important. Like, did I do some work? Yeah. Do I have some things that are in the background? Sure. But that was not the point. The point has been, yep. I have to, I have to kind of figure out what was kind of that new normal, that new um, it's funny. I'm only want to say like new buoyancy on the, yeah. the, the, I think buoyancy is, I think buoyancy kind of is a thing. great image for this too. Like, like where is, cause that's actually what it ends up feeling like. Cause your life moves like this. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. I, can I ride this and be okay when it dips? I'm right. not going to be okay. When it rises, can I, can I be okay? And again, that's experiential knowledge. That's something that like I, I learn by sinking, by floating. I, I, I learn it by, doing it. And I just don't get to that knowledge. I just don't get to that knowledge. Right. And I've, and I've been completely exasperated at times. Like, I don't know how to make my life work. Um, yeah. being, being frustrated with, with that. And I've heard, uh, I've, I've heard, and I'm sure that you have, uh, either creatives or even it makes me think of actually, uh, kind of that moral relativism of, uh, from a, a ministry standpoint that it's like, uh, these guys. And, and I say guys, cause I, I've just, I've seen, I feel like uh, most of the women that I've encountered in a ministry uh, setting are much more uh, understanding of like, imp I, I don't know, priorities being different. Like the, yes. that uh, I've never encountered, a, I've encountered so many uh, guy pastors who are yes. sacrificing their family yep. um, to the, to the altar of, I have to do something pastoral. Um, and, and it just, it just, it hurts like just, it, it just hurts so bad to see it. Cause, cause these, you know, I, you talk with the kids, um, cause he, and, and they're like, yeah, I don't really have a relationship with my dad. Cause my dad's running all over town. Cause everybody else is important, but we're not important. Um, yeah. I, and it's kind of, I don't know what you're, uh, uh, going to church. Like it was always hilarious to me, like growing up that my mom would yell at us probably the most Sunday morning right before <laughs> church. And it's then we get into church and it was like, you better, I'll kick your butt, you know? And then, yes. um, uh, you know, the threatenings threatening to our lives was the most Sunday morning. And then we were fine once we were in church. 
everything was was good but like it's just it, kind of that uh weird priority thing there that uh yes um, well, and creatives it's and it's creatives and i think you and and it's creatives it's entrepreneurs uh and i think the emphasis on like the male experience when it comes to limitations is culturally different it's one of the places where if you're someone who's if you're someone who's working with younger men um like younger men like in their late teens early 20s maybe even early 30s like know going in that one of the one of the things you get the opportunity to help these men do is is learn their limitations and learn that it's to learn what their limitations are to learn that it's not just okay to have them but that it's necessary to have them because as you know as culture has turned one of the sales points for most productivity cultures that like puts men in a corner the the whole you are what you do bottom line productivity narrative it is expansive and it goes across cultures and genders and a whole nine that's not not true but it has been mostly heaped upon men because because of the breadwinning position men have been in but also because like the the, the male energy like go get him culture like is a really male sounding culture. And so if mm. you are someone who works with young men, teaching men in their late, in their late teens through their twenties and their early thirties, like to get to their limitations, have a conversations about burnout, like that's some really important work with like, no matter what kind of work you're doing, getting young men to figure out this, to not figure out to work with limitation is so vital. That's because again, the cats I know, who are burned out and tired in their 60s or 70s, they didn't have, they had great productivity counselors. They had really good coaches. They had good leaders in a bunch of ways, but very few of them had like gracious, kind people who were like, listen, I, I love what you're doing. I love the work you're putting in. I think you're insanely talented and I want you to find your edge so that later on in life, whether you're contributing to my thing or not, you're a healthy worker. So if you get to coach right. men and work with men, man, that's an opportunity you have to to make sure they're healthy in their fifties and sixties. Yeah, it's, when I first kind of joined a, a church way back, what was this two thousand two? Um, as a media uh, director, it was that was the conversation. One of the first conversations was like, you can cheat um, the you can cheat the church kind of thing, or you can cheat your family. And it was, and I didn't have a family, you know, a single guy, but it was, yeah. they were still like, listen, this work never ends. So you yep. just have to get okay with where you can stop for the day. So, and that yeah. was a big conversation of just like, where can you put it down? And that, that still holds with me now. Like, oh yeah, where am I, where am I stopping for the day? Am I comfortable with this? Am yep. I not comfortable with this? Or if I'm frustrated, one of the things lately has been much more like looking at my phone time. How much, oh. how much phone time did I spend? How much, is that where you, you know, is that where you go when things start to fizz? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I need the dopamine, right? Because things are, I'm frustrated cause I'm creating something and my brain is screaming for like dopamine. Like, so just do yeah. a like or something on Instagram or whatever, do you know, like, like one of those little get, get a little, boop, boop, you know, yeah. uh, maybe something happened, nothing happened, but, um, you know, that, and that's been the interesting thing looking at, yeah. um, was that, uh, is it stolen focus? Yeah, stolen focus. Yeah. I finished that book. Holy so Moses! Fantastic. Um, but just how upsetting! Um, how upsetting to to see that so much is against. Yes. Well, in that whole phone culture scenario that we're 
even yeah. if we're being well, really the, smart with our phones. That's part of, um, I mean, that's part of somewhere near the heart of this chapter is, you know, I use coffee as, and I try to make it funny and I think I make it funny, but like, yeah, I, I don't make it funny to make it, to make it anecdotal so that like I laugh, I'm trying to get readers to laugh their way into some sort of knowledge. It's more like, I want you to, I want folks to be comfortable with the notion that we have depend that we do have dependencies. And instead of just being ashamed of like, crap, I have this dependency because this is what we're doing with phones. This is what, and you know, to some degree, like when we talk about caffeine and the, that kind of thing, like we do with caffeine, we're just become a shame. It's like, well, you have a, you have a dependency and you shouldn't is the narrative. What I'm saying in this chapter and with dependencies in general is like, let's follow the thread. Like where, like if you're avoiding this and this is very Margaret self spiritual formation stuff. If, if, if this thing is putting you, if this is a dependency you have, Let's follow the thread. Like, what is what story is this thing telling you? Like, what are you trying? What bar are you trying to rise above? Or like, if this phone, if the phone is the distraction and the dopamine thing, like, what is what is this feeding you that you want to be getting elsewhere? Like, there's a question in all yeah. of our dependencies, whether whether it's caffeine or the phone or whatever it is. There's a question yeah. that our soul is asking that we're answering with a lesser thing. I'm going to answer that right. question with coffee. I'm going to answer that question with likes. So right. what's the, what's the question the thing is asking? Shame in all of these things, and this is why like hit your limits, cross, hit your limits, exceed your limits, and have people go, have good people around you to process them with, because shame will just keep us in that spiral. You have a dependency, we need to get rid of it without dealing with the root causes, because the root cause is the narrative you're living in, and you're not going right. to learn it if you just shame yourself into into silence. Or if you're exper experiencing shame, you're just going to hide your dependency. And that was part of what my subconscious was doing when my, doc my doctor was like, why are you drinking so much coffee? I'm like, why are you asking me? <laughs> like, I was like, we're not going to deal with that. We're not like, I'm very aware that I'm over capacity over here, but I'm going to, I don't want to talk about that because I'm exhausted all the mm -hmm. time. And so shame was keeping me from actually seeing my life. Hit your limits, so it's exceed them, and then have people to talk to about your limits. It's interesting because you're saying f shame and it's funny because I would have thought fear. Mm. Um, cause that's like fear being the motivator of like, like I'm getting stuck as I'm creating something and the fear being like, I can't figure this out. I can't figure it out. And I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of stuck. So what am I, I need the dopamine from something. I think else. that, ha I think go. that happens too. I think, I, I think mm. that drives us. I think most of the time, the thing that drives us to patterns of dependency, um, and, and to like our most unhealthy patterns is, is shame. So if I'm, if I'm afraid that I, that I don't know how to get it done. The thing that ends up happening in me is like, I end up identifying with that. It's not like there, there's a project and there's a problem and I want to solve it. You and I are very similar in this way. It's like, if there's a project and there's a problem, like I like, I actually really enjoy, I thrive and like, I don't know how to do this. Oh, hell yes. Let's learn a thing. I'm super yeah, down. Yeah, give, totally. give me mm -hmm. the tools or I'll build a tool. What ends up being a problem is when I come up against a limitation and I can't fix it. It's not, it's not like I'm afraid. It's like, I'm ashamed. I am not capable. And then I identify right. with my, I identify with my limitation. And this is what I'm saying in the chapter. Like it became a problem that I was human. That's shame. Shame says it's a problem that you have, that you have limitations. And that's not about my capabilities. That's about my humanity. So hitting the limits in our humanity, learning the shape mm -hmm. of our humanity and having people to point us back and say, this is part of what it looks like for you to be you. This is part of what looks like your limitations are part of what it looks like for you to be a whole human being. Like that's the ballgame. Fear, 
fear is part of the journey. Fear is the thing we experience at the front end of a project. Like, I'm not sure I can do this. That's fine. Yeah. Shame is the thing that will, will cast us into the darkness where we don't actually deal with our crap and we stay with our dependencies long-term instead of actually doing the inner and outer work that we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, that creative part of where it's like, oh no, this project is crap. And then it becomes, I'm crap. That's it, exactly. That That's so quick that becomes, I'm now crap. Yes, and this thing this thing sucks. Like or dark night of the soul sucks. happen. A hundred percent. This thing sucks. Yeah. Or the situation sucks. Or this project sucks. Or this day sucks. Right. Totally right. fine. Or like right. I'm nervous. I'm afraid I can't. Uh, that I won't be able to pull this off. All that's right. like get that. But the right. point of it when it's like I suck. I'm incapable. Yes. I can't get this done. I won't like right. that. Now I'm identifying with it. That's mm-hmm. where I get stuck, and that's where like our dependencies win in the long run. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, the thing that you say here, and this is the other quote that I highlighted for here, is being a beloved of God uh, also means that my driver motivation to work and my freedom to fully rest are extensions of and celebrations of God's love. So um, I am not really great at rest. Um, I, I, I haven't been like the whole Sabbath thing just in general and like taking time away, even though, you know, I know the anecdotes of like, well, if you have to cut down a tree, you spend the first hour sharpening your blade and, you know, like this whole thing. And like, I know that that's wisdom I do, but like in practice, it's like, well, okay. What if I just did like half a day work here and then I, I'm able to do my family stuff and then I'm half a day tomorrow, as opposed to just maybe bucket really hard today and then tomorrow just take the day and, and don't do anything. Um, that is a, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm always like, which plate is, is going to fall, which plate is spinning and how do I keep it moving? And the thing, uh, the thing I think we learned, the thing I've learned is like plates hit the ground and I'm going to be okay. And that's part of experiencing, that's part of experiencing limitations. So the, the coffee story, you know, some of what doesn't happen in this chapter is I talk about like, there were, there are classes I got B's in that I could have gotten A's in. And like, am I giving parents permission right now to like, let their kids get B's and C's? Yes, I am. Like, <laughs> like there are classes I could have gotten better grades in totally. But if right. I really wanted to do live the life I was living where like I ha- I was doing young life and I wanted to do young life and I was teaching and I wanted to be teach. I wanted to be teaching, and I was going to school. If I wanted to do all these things, something was going to hit. The, a plate was going to hit the ground. A compromise was going to be was going to be made. That's that is living with a limitation. Limitation doesn't mean like within these limits, I've got to figure out how to get all of it done still and do it all like it, how, how to get it all done at the same pace and capacity and the same excellence. Part of living within my limitations was uh, what part of learning to live within, my, live within my limitations was recognizing that something's going to probably suffer. And it forces a question of our priority. What, what my caffeine dependency was doing was saying like, none of this has to suffer. The thing that can suffer in order for you to get all this done can be your health. Your health can be a compromise. Something's going to get compromised because you're living within limitations. Okay, fine. So the thing we're going to compromise is your health, your relationships, your well-being, and your self-worth. And then we can get all of this crap done. If we can compromise your health, your well-being, your self-worth, if we can get that stuff compromised, then that clears all kinds of room for all this other stuff to get achieved. Like that was the deal I was making with yeah. myself. And it's the deal we're making most of the time. Mm-hmm. Living, living within limitation means like I'm going to be, I'm going to get a B in this class instead of an A, or I might get a C in this class and I'm still going to graduate. 
that's act that's like that's one of those like real life compromises we have to make. Or like this project that I'm doing, uh, I'm gonna either either I'm gonna have to push this back and I'm 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 gonna miss my deadline, which like I've done on mm. two books now. Like I just I call the publisher up and say I'm not gonna hit the deadline because I won't be healthy if I do. I'm gonna miss the deadline, or this won't be this is a tough one. This won't be the greatest thing I've ever done, and I'm gonna get it done. Living with limitations means like I have to prioritize, I learned to prioritize. This is the important thing. And this thing is less important. And then this thing is less important. And sometimes that's a list of projects, but the thing at the top is always this. I am the thing that like, I, like I'm the thing at the top, my health, my well being, like my wholeness is the thing at the top of that scenario every time. And the thing that cannot be compromised in the long run is my well-being, my health, my mental health, my primary relationships. That's the thing that mm -hmm. can't that I, I just I cannot compromise because then in yeah, because the it isn't run, just it isn't just person. It's also like that family thing too. Because if your yeah. family's not okay, you're not okay. Absolutely. And again, there's that's experiential knowledge. The yes. thing we feel like, I mean, is this not true, bro? Like the thing we feel like we can probably we can we we can skate on and just get done is like our own health our own well-being and our own primary relationships. That's the thing we feel like we can skate on. I feel like I can skate. This is why we don't practice Sabbath. It's just, this is this is why our relationships suffer so much is is like we feel like that's the stuff. I got it. this is the hard work over here is getting the project done, meeting the meeting the deadlines, clearing the bar, you know, you know maximizing this, scaling that. That's all the hard work. And then once I get the hard work done, I can power down and go like skate and all my primary relationships and in all my health stuff. And I'll get a little bit of time in the gym and all kind of stuff. And in, in the long run, we figure out like, okay, wait, that, that was actually the hard work. The hard work was actually being like a loving friend and a present partner. And like, that was actually the hard work. And I could have compromised all this crap in order mm -hmm. to actually be the whole person that I was supposed to be. Yeah. I think that, that, that um, Seth Godin talks about like, you got to stay in the game. And if you don't, uh, play in such a way that you're, I mean, cause it's just all, all always around the circle, right? New project, yep. you finish the project, new project, you finish the project. But if yep. you can't stay in the game because you're destroying yourself and you're yep. sacrificing, uh, that's just not gonna, that's just not gonna work. So, yep. um, so then we come back to, uh, help me understand what, what are some, some ways that I can make sure that I am powering down, um, and being okay with leaving my project where it is. Uh, totally. For the moment. So, so, so the, the, the few things again, from this chapter one is that they're, you know, paying attention to the season of life that I'm in uh, or the season of life I'm in or the season uh, even within a season of life. So are you a person in your twenties? In that case, like there's, there are certain learning curves and it's time to like put in truckloads of hours into things that you actually care about and find your limits. Um, that's, that's primary. This is, this is the time to do that. Um, if you are someone in your 30s and 40s, uh, paying attention to the things, well, even if you're in your 20s, as we're doing that work, paying attention to our dependencies. Like what is the thing that you are adding to your life? What is the thing that you are adding to your body chemistry or to your hours? Like, is it is it some sort of phone dependency? Is it some sort of chemical dependency? Instead of letting shame, like tell you, like keep that quiet and let's not talk about it. No, no, no. Let's take, let's look at it square on 
and say, okay, what is this? What is, what am I telling myself uh, this does for me? This is why I make coffee a character is because like coffee would be like, dude, we can do all this stuff. In fact, we can do this stuff and more. Like it was like, there was a story being told. What the thing I'm dependent upon, what is that thing telling me and promising me that it can do for me that I'm in love with? Do the work of like, uh, instead of being like, I shouldn't be hooked on coffee or I shouldn't be crushing Red Bull. Okay, that's probably true. Why though? Like, why are you doing it? Because if you don't face that question of like, why am I, why am I sucking this stuff down that I know is not great for me? Then you'll, you'll turn that one in if you do, and you'll go find another one. Cause it's not just the chemical dependency. It's the story I'm living in. And this thing mm -hmm. is selling me on that story. That's the primary bit from this chapter is like, what's the story here that this yeah. the coffee was telling me? So, you know, pay attention to the season in your life you're in. But if you have dependencies like coffee, what's the story that thing is telling you that you actually believe? That's the hard work. And boom. And boom. Dude, thank you. Yeah. Another one. Another one. Done. Over and over. For in perpetuity, at least for seven more rounds ish. Seven more rounds. Thanks, Dan. This is great. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Outseat Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McRoberts. This is producer Dan Portnoy. We have been talking about Chapter 5 of the book Sacred Strides, which you can purchase. And I think you should. Uh, you can go to heartsandmindsbooks.com and buy it from my good friend Byron Borger, my favorite bookseller in America, maybe the world. Um, or if you're one of those clickety-click people, you just like to make the two clicks and have it show up on your doorstep, uh, that is totally fine too. Uh, Sacred Strides is available on Amazon and, and the other places. If you're looking for a bunch of them, then just message me. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm your dealer. If you're looking for lots of me, I'm your gateway to lots of me. Uh, and message me, and I can get you a pretty good deal on books. Like if it's twenty or more books. Um, outside of that, have a wonderful Christmas season. Uh, Dan and I'll be back doing this uh, on the other side of the new year. Blessings. See you again. <laughs>